Hi everyone, and welcome to The Human Behind the Screen. And I'm your host, Shauna Morin. The ways in which we work and scale workforces are changing. No longer are we reliant on physical locations in order to operate as a business or a team. And this shift in building teams and companies is coming rapidly. And businesses are being forced to adapt to what they've always done for years. But what does this mean for the humans behind the screen? How do we bring back that human connection when we primarily work online? In this podcast, we'll be speaking to leaders and experts all over the world to dissect what makes businesses successful at remote working. We'll be discussing the importance of human connection, emotional intelligence, and relationships in an ever-changing virtual world. So hi, Paul. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm very much looking forward to our conversation. The first time that we met was at an event in Tralee in Ireland, a Grow Remote event. That was a couple of years ago at, at this stage. It was kind of one of the first big remote working events that happened really in Ireland. And it was kind of kicking off those initial conversations. And I know that at that time you were COO at Nearform and you shared a lot of your your learnings and experiences in building and growing a team from 10 to 140 people, I believe. And, you know, there was there was so much good stuff in there. And obviously that was a couple of years ago. Things have changed so much now, especially yes. around remote working. So I'm eager to have you on the show today to hear even more of those great insights and those learnings. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Sean. It's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. So now tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Conjura. So Conjura is a customer data analytics platform provider, and we, we help, I suppose, illuminate the road in front as people kind of make decisions about online marketing spend to make sure that they're making good decisions. And we use data to help people understand how to get the most from their spend online. So that's kind of the, the current thing. It's particularly exciting for me because I wanted to get involved with something with a kind of an artificial intelligence and machine learning aspect to it. And uh, so, I'm, yeah, I'm having great fun um, with great. it. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your background, Paul. I know that you've been involved in entrepreneurship, building companies. You've always been involved in the tech scene and you've had many different C-suite positions at tech companies. So you've extensive experience, but how, you know, what's, what's been the journey for you that got you to, to where you are today? Yeah. So <laughs> I love when people <laughs> say that, right? Cause it sounds yeah. like you know, you've got many C-suite positions. So the first C-suite position was because I just decided to start my own company and I just called myself like the CEO. So, you know, you can, <laughs> there's loads of ways to get on there, but I suppose I've, I've been in the tech industry since uh, the mid nineties and started out in telecommunications, started out as a software engineer and went on, did the usual kind of career progression where I kind of started to become a team lead and then started to manage uh, numbers of teams, mostly working in big companies. And that was great. I was really lucky because I, I worked in big companies, but I worked in, in little corners of them where new ideas were developing. So uh, in Logica, that would have been where the, the new product introduction group was happening. And they were looking at 
uh, intelligent networks. So that's where, uh, you know, our prepaid cloning, for instance, today, that's where that functionality developed from. And before that, sort of where, you know, those teams would have developed the original short message or text message server. So we're talking about a long time ago. <laughs> anyway, but the, yeah, to go from there. And then what, what I started to see was, and that was a, a big Irish success story. The company was called Aldescott. They built a software server. And that software server actually handled 90 plus percent of global text message traffic after a while, after a few years. So it was a huge Irish success story. That was either they were the, the, the sender or the receiver of something like 93% of all messages sent globally. Uh, which was a huge success story. That company was bought out. I was lucky enough to be out with the people who started the company the night that they sold. <laughs> and uh, and also they they created a second company. And I was also we were out in Geneva with them the night that that, that kind of got sold as well. And that was... I'd say that was a great was night. very exciting <laughs> to be around. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of ignited this idea that, God, you can, you can set up a company. You can have an idea, you know, set up a company and, and make it happen. And you can make it happen from Ireland now. You don't have to be... In America to make that happen, or in Silicon Valley. So um, yeah, so that, that started there, and I set up my own company. It was a games platform. It was based in Dublin, and then <laughs> then I got married in that time. And one of the conditions of getting married was to live in Waterford, and that was a problem because it wasn't a tech industry as such in Waterford or anything even resembling it. <laughs> so I was like, well, what am I going to do? So one one simple thing was to to build my own company and to try and build remotely I suppose that's where the remote thing started you know nice. so that's that was uh 2002 2003 was when I started kind of doing that and um, so again and there was very little around remote at all at that stage yeah it was horrific voice yeah. over IP there was actually a delay at that stage so you'd, you'd say something and then it would go off and then you'd get a response back like, and that's, that's very, you don't have good conversations. <laughs> no, no. So I can only imagine. Yeah, yeah. So it's a different world, but it, it um, I suppose it gave me some early insights into the kind of problems. And it also gave me appreciation for tools as they came online, like what we have today, you know, and, you know, we have like, obviously this year we have, you know, in my local area, the grannies have a book club, you know, and they get in the book club now on Zoom and they have their book club. So my grannies are on Zoom, yeah. the, the kids are all on Zoom going to school. You know, it's like all these wonderful tools uh, all of a sudden that are there, but they, they, were, they weren't there in 2002. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So from 2002 onwards, has it mostly always been remote or involved in the distribution world? Yeah, not, 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 I suppose it's a mix. So a lot of companies, as you know, when you start up companies, there's a risk that things are going to go terribly, terribly badly. Um, and my first company went so terribly badly that I got the opportunity to join the team in WIT, in the Telecom uh, Software and Systems Group, TSSG. And that was an office job. So I used to drive in every morning, like, like uh, I suppose most people in the world. And that involved working with folks in the place we were based in Waterford, face to face. But it also had a large component of European projects. Okay, this is where we're working with European partners to bring tech to market. So I guess my role in that would have been to commercialize research. Okay, so I worked within a team in there and we would take uh, specific pieces of research and then turn them into products that might meet a market need. And then from there, we we would try and commercialize. So we were working with European partners and we were coordinating across kind of six, seven countries at a time in that. 
So that was where the remote, remote aspect of that was. And that was great fun. And, and things are starting to get started to get a lot better in terms of remote working at that stage. Um, Mm. So that was that was the Great. kick on into it. Then um, I built the so in into TSSG we created. I suppose I was involved in about seventeen different startups being created at that stage. And um, the probably the biggest success story that came out of the TSSG was a company called Feed Henry that some people would be familiar with. It was bought by Red Hat, mm. and uh, it really unlocked a lot of things in, in Waterford. And we. At that time, I suppose, I got very, very excited about a product concept that we brought into a company called Zalxi. And again, I became the, the, the CEO over at Zalxi. And that company had kind of started out with an idea that we built in Waterford as a, as a co-located team. But then as soon as we started to meet customers and that, our customers tended to be in Scotland, the UK, and in Canada. So our creative teams had to be near our customers. So suddenly I had a remote mm-hmm. team. And again, it was all about dealing with the remote team. So you have your content writers in the UK. We had our graphic artists, you know, based sometimes in Calgary, in Canada. Very, you know, as you can appreciate at the moment, time zones mm-hmm. cause problems. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. The biggest problem in remote working, I think, and the most difficult one because it's uh, you can change an awful lot. It's it's I haven't managed to change time zones yet. <laughs> they, they happen. <laughs> no, no, unfortunately, it's the, you know, I always find no matter how much experience people have in remote, it's it's always a challenge at different stages of scaling. Do you have ways or strategies to make that time zone challenge easier? What have you learned over the years? Okay, so there's there's a couple of things about it. So Zoxy was particularly difficult because we had a relatively small team. So the company was never bigger than kind of 20, 22 people or so. And they needed to work together. So what we had is we had people in disparate time zones requiring that they to work together. So they had to just adjust their lives to work. And from my perspective, that got very difficult very fast because you went managing it, you know. Now, it was way worse in near form for a while where we, we got a... Um, uh, we had a much greater geographical spread in Nearform in terms of the people that worked in the company, but also in terms of our clients. So what we found was that as people were involved across the projects, we were dealing with people, uh, let's take early morning. So we had we had people in, in China, China and in India and in Dubai, where some of our customers were, and we were dealing with them. And then th- th- so that you'd start early and then you'd kind of work through and through kind of our time zone, our working day. And then about like three o'clock in the afternoon or two o'clock, you see the, the East Coast in the US come online and you start working with them. And then by six o'clock, you're working with people, you know, we had customers in LA and, and uh, other parts of California down San Francisco. So uh, what you sound is your day just got elongated. And it was, it was really, it was actually quite difficult to, to manage. And it also happens by degrees yeah. a little bit. So, you know, you, you, you kind of start off and you got one customer in New York. So you start kind of having calls till half five, six, six thirty, seven. 7.30 and it's like, okay, okay, that's grand. And then, then you, you know, the guys in LA and, and they're, you know, it's, it's only, it's only another hour, right? So it's only 8.30, 8.30 9.30 is a call, you know, and then suddenly you're finishing at 9.30 at night. And then all of a sudden somebody yeah. goes and goes, goes, do you know what? This project in Dubai is going great, Paul. Just, you know, let's just jump on a call. Don't worry about it. It won't interfere with your day because we'll start at 7.30 a.m. or 6. And, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh my God, sleep time has been impacted. Never mind everything else. So. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a fair yeah. So, it's 15 so hour ha, days. what did I do to cope with it? 
I think the biggest thing was to start to group teams. So when we organized the work, we, as you say, we had a team of about, you know, 150. We generally kind of broke it down into developer team sizes of kind of less than seven people, really. So you had a kind of a leader and, and four or five or six engineers kind of on a specific project. And what you tried to do was you try and keep them nearby. So, you know, we had a, a somebody who's based in in India that works really, really well with a customer who's based in Dubai. We were lucky enough, we had a lot of people in uh, South Africa and places like that who were very similar time zones, right? They're, they're a long way away for, you know, flying wise, they're much further away, but very close. And then, you know, we grouped them with the European projects and then we'd have an American team and a South American team that would help take care of the North Americas. So you're kind of lining people up and lining work up and just, just incorporating it in. And then separate to that, I suppose, just the guides, the little, it's, it's actually very, very easy for people to forget that you're in a different time zone. And especially when you're trying to create a culture in your company that everybody is willing to be flexible and help everybody else. Somebody from America comes on and goes, I want you to jump on this call. It's on, it's on about, I don't know, it's on about three o'clock. So is that okay? And you go, yeah, it's fine. And you look at it and you go, three o'clock. Holy God, look at that. What time is that for me? It's like 10 o'clock at night. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll go on it anyway. You know, whereas by educating people explicitly as they worked in the company and saying, please be aware that when you organize a meeting in your time zone, you need to actually open Google Calendar. You need to select a little button that shows you the different time zones. <laughs> and, and you need to understand when you're, you know, when you're outside of work hours for somebody, have a chat, talk about what works for them. Are they collecting the kids? Are they having dinner with the family? You know, are they, you know, simple, simple things and just work that in to, mm-hmm. to build into people's psyche and get them thinking that way as they organize meetings. And it actually became very workable really, really quickly, actually, after that, once we realized it. Brilliant. Yeah. It's the whole boundaries around remote working. Like, and you probably have found that as well. Like you were saying, you know, you could just jump on a call at any time, especially as a a leader who's obviously passionate about the work, especially when we're passionate about what we do. Work is from home. It's easy to just open the laptop, right? And it's easy to finish on a Friday and think, oh my gosh, I did 12 hour days you know, with some breaks in between, of course, but, you know, it's, it, I've been kind of overworking a bit. Sometimes um, of breaks, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Yeah. So how do you as a leader maintain those boundaries, hold yourself accountable to that? So that's probably the first big thing that I'd, I, I kind of advise everybody to do. So, and this is something that people misunderstand when I talk about it. Okay. So you need to measure productivity very, very carefully, okay? So you need to understand very, very clearly anybody who is in your organization that is working remotely, you need to be able to track and measure their productivity, how much they're getting done and what hours they're working, okay? And every time I kind of come at this, people go, oh, yeah, brilliant, big brother. Let's, you know, we'll know how much they work. And it's like... No, no, that's, that's not, not what you're trying to do. You're not, you're not worried about people not working. So, you know, let's get this. Like I've, at this stage, I've worked with, I don't know, direct reports, a few hundred remotely. Okay. I can think of one or two cases where people didn't work. I can think of way more cases where people weren't pulling their weight when they were in the office, to be honest. Yeah. And the bigger worry is that people burn themselves out because they're working too hard. There's a lot of cases where you've got, number one, people see working 
from home as a privilege and they're trying to prove that they, you know, they want to hold on to that privilege. So they'll push themselves and they'll work a bit harder than they want to. Number two is, you know, that, that you can't see physically the impact of work. So there, you know, I heard it recently, it's a wonderful thing. Are you working from home or are you just now living where you work and, and working pretty much continuously, right? Mm. That kind of dynamic creeps in. The other big thing that I find is that modern workplaces are very different. So I remember there was one stage where, you know, I had a lot of jobs where there was a boss and a boss told you what to do. Okay. And that was a, a wonderfully simple time. And it also sorts of problems associated with it, but that's not work anymore. Like this idea that you have a boss and that boss is the only person that gives you work is rubbish. In a modern environment, you get work from everybody around you all the time and you give work to people around you all the time. And very often you don't understand that, that you're actually allocating work to people. You're taking away some of their life. <laughs> so, yeah. and, and, and sometimes it's without value, right? Without, without people understanding the pressure they're putting people under and that. So if you don't measure this, right, what you get is you get people who are, some people will be more affected than others, right? So they are either more accessible they're more obviously the expert person in the company. They're more, they're, they're more inclined to say yes, whatever, for whatever reasons. They seem to attract more work. That makes sense. Mm. And these are the people you need to watch out for. If you're not measuring and if you can't understand how much they're getting done every day, you can't kind of see it when they get asked to do what's the equivalent of 20 hours of work in a single day. And, mm. I, and I've seen that happen repeatedly. Like, and, and that's a, it's a terrifying thing when you kind of uh, happen to me once in near form or hadn't, hadn't measured it properly. And one of the guys rang me and he just was like, Paul, I don't know what I'm going to do here. Like, I'm, I'm at breaking point. I can't handle this job. And everybody else seems to be doing great. And when we put it down, he, you know, he was doing massive hours that other people just weren't doing because they were allocating work to him. So right. anyway, and this is not malicious. It's, it's just, uh, it just happens. So, Yeah. It's, I mean, how do you measure, Paul? Like, in, I know maybe in tech teams, it, it might be a little bit easier, right? You can measure and you can have sprints and you can put some data behind that. Like, what's the best way for a leader or a team who are not measuring to start measuring? Like, what should they be looking at tool-wise? What's some simplistic ways to start bringing in? So really, really, really simple way. The, the number one way you should talk to people at least every week as a, an explicit agenda item, as a leader, you should be asking them, are you overworking? Like just ask them. That's the easiest way to measure. Like, you know, and you can measure it depending on the person. And this does change. And this is, you know, the cultural differences between people you're managing will be different. Some people will not answer that question directly if you ask it. And what you have to ask is other questions around that, you know, which is, you know, uh, so like, God, you're working on this particular project. Did that run late on you last night? All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. You're working till 10 o'clock. Right. Okay. Mental note, 10 o'clock. Grand. Now we have a problem. So, and you're just kind of divine that. So that, that's the easiest way. And the, the least tech and no system is just caring about it. Uh, mm -hmm. number two is formally measure stuff. If you're, if you're working across a bigger team, you won't be able to have that kind of person to person contact. And what we've done in some places is have little surveys that people just do at the end of the week. Just ask it as a question on the survey and you can make them anonymous. You can make them or not, depending on the, the culture of the company and, and what way you want to do it. You can, you can make them very specific and, and you can ask questions. So we would always have like things, you know, 
when you go back to the tech world, right, you've got things like philosophy, you know, you've got like, you know, our functionality levels or whatever else, you know, I, I have six features to build. I have six weeks. I want to build one feature in every week. And I measure that. And that's, you know, and that's kind of a velocity you want to keep across a project. And that's hardly simplistic. Mm-hmm. I apologize to all the project managers and everything out there. That's very, but anyway, <laughs> but when you, when you actually talk about the softer things, we found that you get a much better prediction of performance okay so this is is um, the softer stuff so simply asking a team if they were happy that they were going to finish on time and you just rate that out of one out of five you know one i don't think we're going to finish on time or i'm sure we're not five i'm absolutely 100 certain and, and just talk about that and measure it every week before anything else you can measure shows you that team is going to be late you'll see if you're going to be late with that and you can take action and actually it's, it's one of the few things that gives you enough time to actually correct because normally it's just you find out when you're, you're late and you're just too late. And, and that can be applied directly when you're measuring how much people are doing and how happy they are. It's actually a happiness metric mm. is what we call it. We actually specifically call them that. And they're really, really important. Definitely. I mean, for, for some companies, I mean, I want to hear your thoughts around the whole kind of time tracking, you know, watching what people are doing. I know you said the reason why you think it's important to measure, and I agree with you, is to measure the sustainability of your team to ensure that they are happy that they are well that they are not overworking it's coming from a good place and it's obvious that the ways that you ask those questions whether in one-to-one or through a survey that's done in the right way it's communicating the right message however you know there's leaders out there now that are using different softwares to measure in different ways whether that's measuring the time, looking at people's screens. I mean, you know, what do you think of those sort of tools in this? And what are your opinions? I want to know. Um, so this is where I get in an awful lot of trouble with loads of people. But anyway, well, I... Go for it. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Okay. Um, with Without exception of the people that I've worked with, okay, when you truly measure what they do and get a good understanding, you get a, f- a full appreciation for how well they're doing. And for most of the people listening to it, that would be a very, very positive thing. And that's, as you say, it's where measurement is coming from the right place for the right reasons. And, you know, I also, I'm quite a, a harsh person when I see people who are causing problems. So for instance, I have seen it, uh, when you build a culture where you've got very nice people on a team, and one team member is not pulling their weight, it means the other, maybe, you know, if there's four people on a team, there's three people working too hard. Okay. And if you can't measure that, you're in trouble. So this is, you know, these are the kind of good reasons why you come at it, right? But absolutely, I have come across so often personality types that have different motivations and the same thing is used a different way. And, you know, you can use tools in all sorts of different ways. A hammer is a very, very useful instrument in most hands, but you can kill people with it if you use it the wrong way. So you know, th- this is, is something that I would say would be very, very important to understand as somebody who's in a situation where they're being asked to report on what they do. So you have to know what the tools are. I, I tend to use simple things like Google Sheets tracking or some of the, the commercial products that do time tracking. Uh, a lot of them, I suppose, are meant to give insights. So I would say that if you are being measured, okay, it's very, very important to get an understanding of why that person is measuring you, okay? And this is, this is what you use to decide whether you need to get a different job. Is that, 
Is that fair enough? Yes. Okay. That's so, clear. <laughs> not to be too blunt about it, but so I have certainly come across, and in software, it used to be a real badge of honor how how many hours you could do in a day, and I've, I've certainly bragged mm-hmm. about it myself because you know that's that's where we were back you know twenty years ago. What I realize now is that that works for very short stints, and that's the way software used to work, and and that was great, you know, and that was you know so you go and you have a normal working life, and then you get crazy busy in run up to release, and then you go and celebrate that release because you're not going to have a release from the year, you know, and now software teams release every Friday. So it's not a, or every multiple times a day sometimes. Right. So that, that has changed an awful lot. If somebody is using measurement to see how hard they can push their teams before they start to break, that will become evident. Okay. Mm. If somebody is using measurement and they're not willing to be measured themselves, that's a deal breaker for me. So I think if there's a manager who's asking you to account for your time and he's not accounting for his time or a manager who's asking to account, asking you to account for your time and she's not accounting for her time, this applies equally, you know, there's a little bit of imbalance there. So when I ask somebody to fill out a time tracking sheet, if I'm working on a project, I'm going to fill it out too. And that's something that I think is a, is a big, uh, and these are the kind of indicators between why somebody is doing something, right? The reason I fill it out is not because I'm trying to be the same as everybody else in the team or kind of the trendy put the baseball cap on backwards type person when I'm managing somebody. It's because I'm tracking my time for the exact same time I'm tracking their time. The company needs to understand how much resource a project takes. The company needs to understand how much time I'm putting in to make sure that I don't break myself. You know, like it's all the same. And it applies equally in every layer of, of, of a team. So I think that's the biggest problem is when you've got different sets of rules being applied to different people at different parts of the company. That's when it's, it's a negative mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and that's when I would call foul on it. And, and that's, as I said, I, I, uh, my experience in, as, a, as a technical person is, it's easier to get a new job than to try and change uh, a current thing. And that's, that's where it's, it's, a, it's a real challenge to kind of pull those items apart and actually see, is there something in this situation that is, I suppose, driven by somebody else other than me. Therefore, if I get a new job, I will be happier and this will be better. Or is this something that I'm doing that I need to change about myself to make myself better? Okay. Yeah. Now, as you well know, the nasty personalities you come across will try and make it feel like this is something you need to improve about yourself by putting in the extra hours or by, you know, whatever else. And that, that, that kind of dynamic is dangerous. So yeah. So, and this is where it kills me because measurement is all tangled up in this because it's all, it's a, it's a weapon that can be used. Yeah, totally. Totally makes (laughs) sense. And yeah, I mean, even just for individuals, employees out there, whether, you know, maybe if your team aren't measuring something that I have always done working remotely and I would recommend it Mm -hmm. is to document everything that you do on a daily basis, because it's very easy to forget the work that you do and working across time zones and it's good to have that data there for yourself to say okay these are the things that I've done I've had this many calls I've spoke to this many people this many people or whatever but no that makes sense Paul so tell me what I'm interested in is obviously remote has changed a lot more so this year than than ever and obviously you're still working remotely leading teams building teams remotely managing customers remotely. What are some insights or learnings that you've had over the last couple of months in particular? Yeah. What's, what's changed? God, yeah. So 
Rapport is one thing that I believe a lot in. So building a rapport with people, you know, I suppose just even thinking about how you started this whole conversation, right? It was like we met, we were physically at a conference in Tralee a couple of years ago, you know, we met. I have no doubt that we shook hands when we met, right? Because that's that's how you greet each other when you're meeting in a business setting, right? Well, it used to be. <laughs> so yeah. um and and this this building of rapport is really, really important. And I think that the handshake as a thing, right? As a this is really, really so this is a big thing for me, right? So this is I am going to shake your hand. I am trusting you enough that I'm gonna allow you to make physical contact to me, right? Yeah. And the reason it's so powerful in terms of building rapport is because of previous pandemics, right? The great flu and things like that, where, you know, the, the, these are very, very different types of pandemics, but they built it into our psyche that if somebody allows me and, and shakes my hand, they're telling me that they trust me at a deep, deep level. Like this is a big thing, right? And now, mm. well, that's, that's probably gone. You know, I don't know. I, I'm not sure who I shake hands with now. <laughs> exactly. And it's so funny you say that because like even yesterday, you know, I'm, I'm we're viewing apartments in, uh, in Vancouver at the moment. And both myself and David, my boyfriend, we had a conversation about how much we miss shaking people's hands when we meet them, you know, and, you know, that whole rapport building in terms of, you know, getting a property and meeting people is so important. And we, we we just said we miss it so much, you know, because it just extends that trust, that professionalism. So I, I t- it's so funny that you've brought this up. I've just had this conversation. But yeah, who knows if we'll ever do it again? I hope we will. Exactly. And, and that's one of the things that I'm finding is that different people are taking different tacks. So mm. almost everybody I've ever worked with, you know, and this isn't kind of a aluminum salesman, you know, asking how the kids are type thing. But I mean, people, when they meet, they have an interpersonal interaction before they get down to business, right? What I'm finding is that as people are pushed remote, that this changes the dynamic in terms of building rapport. That's kind of the, well, measure was actually my number one tip. But number two tip (laughs) was understand that when you start at an an interaction, that there is a, a requirement to build rapport and don't rush past that, you know? Like there's a, a lot of people I think are, are suffering from Zoom fatigue and they're, they've got a, a Tetris-like calendar where they've got like Zoom call, Zoom call, Zoom call, Zoom call. And they're, they're constantly two or three minutes late for that Zoom call because they're just trying to tie up the last Zoom call. And you get onto the call and you're out of breath. You can almost feel yourself breathless. Yeah. You're, and, and then you go in, you go, right, and what are we doing today? Right, today is about, uh, okay, customer analytics. Let's see, okay, we need to get your, we need to get access to your Google account and, and you're in. And it's like, yeah. and the customer is also the exact same mode, right? So they're like, and they're, and in some ways it feels really, really good because it's like, oh God, okay, so we've got a half an hour call and we got straight into it and we got loads done. And that's not, not necessarily a good thing because it, it doesn't happen in real life. So in real life, what actually happens is you go to meet somebody. And, and you turn up in their office and there, if there's a big office, you've got a nice reception desk and you kind of say, Hey, I'm all I'm, I've arrived. And they go, Oh, great. We'll tell uh, Mary that you've arrived. And then Mary arrives down from the seventh floor and you know, you kind of, she goes, Oh God, have you had a cup of coffee? We better grab it down here. Cause there's none upstairs. And you go and you have a cup of coffee, you grab a cup of coffee and whatever else you start your meeting, maybe seven minutes, you know, into after you've actually physically met the person, that's seven yeah. minutes of interaction. Now you think about yeah. doing that remotely, that's a huge amount of time to dedicate 
to building a relationship with that person. And that's, you know, so take that amount of time, take that amount of effort and try to still do it. Anyway, there you go. I think it's, I think it's great. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a great piece of advice. It sounds simple, but yeah, from the conversations I've been having, people just are not doing that. You know, it's, they're having maybe a, a team get together once a week. You know, that doesn't feel natural to some, some people. It's that natural buffer at the start of a meeting. Uh, whether that's one-to-one or even a team meeting, that is very important. We have to be deliberate with carving out the time for that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 not skipping past it. And not kind of, you know, not being afraid to say, how was your day? What do you like? It is hilarious, right? So you ask, hey, what did you do for the weekend? Or like well, the same thing we've done every weekend since COVID-19 started. <laughs> we've been at home. <laughs> we have nothing to talk about. <laughs> but it is, but exactly. So but but still I think it's it's building that rapport is an important part of each interpersonal interaction communications in a workplace, in a remote workplace, just as important. Don't forget. So, yeah. Brilliant, Paul. So rapport, yeah. require it, don't rush it, yeah. included in all the interactions. Brilliant. Anything else around insights that you want to share with us today? I suppose the the only other kind of big thing for me is I had a very interesting uh, and this is this is changing because of COVID nineteen now. During my in my weekend interacting with a local neighbor here, and they were talking about their job, and they they were they're somebody who is near retirement, and they were talking about the, the fact that they had hired somebody to come in and start right, and they're very much the idea is that when somebody is in the same office as you, you can hire them. They don't have the context of this new workplace, right? But you can watch them without watching them. So her idea was she would hire this new person. They would take care of this part of the organization. She'd be able to take care of another part of the organization. Everything would be great. And then if this person ran into trouble, she'd be able to see. Hmm. And it just broke down because what actually happened was that there's so much context being picked up in an office environment that simply couldn't be, they, they, they didn't have the mechanisms to transmit that context. So it just simply wasn't possible for them to start upskilling that person. They didn't have a remote onboarding plan, as it were, you know? Right. So it really brought it home to me that, and I'll tell you where, where they fell down was mm. that in their organization, an awful lot of decisions and business kind of little business yeah. processes happened informally, you know, between two people in the same right. place, right? And what you have is you've got mm-hmm. quite informal face-to-face. And for me, people have moved from informal face-to-face to email, right? Like email, right? So for me, email is a long way from face-to-face, right? So you got like, you know, I have face-to-face, I have a video call, I have a voice call and I have email. You know, email is like, it's terrible, you know, as a medium, right? So even simple things like, you know, face-to-face, ask somebody to do something, they go, I don't know what you're talking about. And you go, oh, right. And then you give a bit more context and everything is great, you know? Like the email trail to make mm-hmm. that happen is a nightmare. And the the barriers within the email trail, like for instance, for the new person to be able to write in an email that they don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. Like, it doesn't feel comfortable at yeah. all. So not everyone's cut out for remote. Not every business, right? Not every business is cut out for remote, but I think what's like, especially in COVID-19 when we have no choice, I think what is, it's, it's uh, I always loved Bob Hoskins' ad for BT. You know what he said? Sometimes it's good to talk and sometimes it's good to text, right? Yeah. And that's also true with this. So not every interaction should be handled on email. 
Mm. And actually, every interaction that you want to have with somebody should be examined as to what way you want to have that interaction to make sure it happens the right way. And what I find is that some of the times I'll get on, you know, we have Slack. I think a lot of people use Slack in, in work these days to, to kind of organize stuff. And I'll, I'll start typing in Slack and I'll suddenly realize I'm going to exchange 4,000 Slack messages to actually get through this. Okay, just to organize a call, right? Mm. Um, there is a massive difference between a video call and a voice call, right? So, you know, even simple, like what, what, we're, what we're finding is that a lot of our customers who would work in an office, they don't like having the video on and they don't understand the negative impact of that. I can't see how you're reacting, you know? So for the, this is a podcast, right? So Sean is not in your head here, right? Okay. It would be much, you know, obviously you now when she gets to the point when I put my foot in and said something wrong, Sean's going to be shaking her head violently going, stop, stop, don't talk for her. But that's lost. So that's a big thing anyway for me. That's just understanding that face-to-face is far better than video. Video is far better than voice. Voice is far better than email. Don't try and do everything through email. <laughs> Help yeah. yourself a little bit with the... Yeah. But you know, it's... I mean, I do wonder, I see people, as you said, their calendars are like Tetris now. You know, it's next call, next call, next call, next meeting. And I do wonder, (laughs) you know, I know mine looks a bit like that some days, but I do wonder because people are so busy and reactive to that, they don't have time to slow down and actually think about, okay, what am I actually trying to get out of this? exchange and what is the best way to do it just like you said email is not great it's not it's not the way to do everything video maybe also isn't the best way to do everything meetings are not the best way but it's gradually introducing that it's it's tough especially as you said when there are businesses who their their business processes are based around those informal interactions it's not optimized for remote environments so it's Starting off with that, I think is, as you said, Paul, a really good first step is looking at if we're just sending emails, how is that impacting us? What are some other communication methods we can add in? But I agree on the video. I mean, the difference even in this podcast of having a guest that doesn't want to have their video on, even though we've only had one of those because everybody's very knowledgeable about our remote. Yes. I think you maybe had... Um, some internet issues but the difference in the quality of the conversation is huge yeah yeah it's huge can i give a bit of bad news for everybody actually okay so we've had COVID 19 right so it happened relatively quickly so we all realized there was a problem and then four days later the government decided everything was in lockdown and everybody had to go home and everybody had to figure out remote like really really fast right and that's been really difficult for a lot of people okay there's a lot of aspects of that that are, are kind of, I wouldn't get into, like, you know, the mental health aspects and all those things, right? They're fine. They will sort themselves out as people come out of lockdown, right? But there are things that are going to get dramatically worse. So in my experience, working in an office is great. Working remotely is manageable if you get the techniques right. And I think, Sean, you, you spent so much time helping people with that over the last little while. You know, you know it's, it's doable. For most businesses, actually, it's surprisingly doable if you have the right expertise involved. By far and away, what's way worse, and this is what's going to happen. So what we have now, and we're all, anybody involved in management is working on this at the moment. They've got their plans to get people back into the office after COVID, okay? So there's different governments are taking different social distancing stances. There's all sorts of different guidelines around how you go back there. 
Are we going to buy like, you know, screens between everybody? You know, how are we going to change the office configuration? Most people will have to go on a rotation. So most offices are not big enough to accommodate people and social distancing. So only some of the people will be in the office at the time. And this is when things get way, way worse. Okay. You might have that example of this, Shauna, right? So what's actually going to happen is the people who go back to the office or who were in the office on that day revert. They start to make decisions the old way, the way the business always made decisions. And they happen in a way that if you were in the office, you'd know all about them, but you're not because it's a rotation and you're, this is your day at home. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you suddenly realize that people who would normally be in the loop are suddenly out of the loop and there's chaos around this. It's actually much more, it's much more difficult than when everybody is remote. So just as, a, as an early flag for anybody out there, this is, this is going to be a big and difficult to manage dynamic in the workplace over the next little while. And just because you got it right, you know, and I think our Taoiseach actually has, has done reasonably well in terms of how he's communicated around uh, COVID-19. And, and uh, you know, one of the things he said was, you know, lockdown is easy, just switch everything off, right? It's actually coming back out of lockdown that's the most difficult thing is you have to coordinate everything. And I think it's very important to make people aware that that is as important in the workplace. But anyway, there you, there you go. It's a great point, Paul. That hybrid environment, remote plus office, it's even more challenging than being 100% remote. What, absolutely. And as you said, people will revert back to the old ways of decision-making when they are in the office. So how can you start creating a level playing field between the office plus remote? So you need remote first processes there. You need to continue. You need to set the expectations for the people that are going back into the office. It's very difficult and challenging to maintain a level playing field between your remote people and your office people. But you have to because otherwise it's unfair and you're missing out on so much good stuff and you're not going to engage your remote, your remote team. It's just not sustainable. Also, Sean, the one big change for me is I've solved this problem two or three times. Like once I actually sent, we sent a team home from Nearfall. We had three people living within a mile of the office who could walk to work, who actually worked from home for a couple of months just to build up the house. But <laughs> now the way I've always solved the problem is the context of there being office people. These are the people that come into the office every day and they're being remote people. These are people who like to work from home. But we're, we're going to have a rotation, it looks like. So it's not going to be the same people. And it's a different problem to solve. And I'm not, I haven't come up with a playbook for that yet. I, I can't wait. It's going to be great fun. But I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a headache. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just summarizing those insights, because I think there's a lot of great points in there. Whether you are already remote, well, most people are, but whether you're planning to go back into an office or stay remote. I think, you know, the first, Paul's first point around measuring, measuring from a good place. Like, wh why is that measurement in place? And in this case, it's talking about the sustainability of the team, right? Keeping the team, you know, well, happy and ensuring that they're not overworking. And how can you put more measurements in place? And the focus is on output as opposed to input in remote environments. The second thing around rapport, making sure that you are deliberate around creating that time at the start of meetings. Don't underestimate it. Don't rush it. It's important, that rapport piece. The third thing around, I suppose, for those businesses who hadn't worked remotely, it's how do you transmit that communication in different ways as opposed to just using email? So what is the context that you need to get across? What are some of the other tools that you can use? Again, to bring in more of that rapport, right? Email is not the fix for everything. And finally, which I think is a, 
a really great point that we haven't touched upon ever is around those businesses that are starting to plan to go back into an office and having that rota of people which will see you having a hybrid environment so remote people plus office people so how are you going to create a level playing field and how are you going to maintain those remote friendly and first processes as people start coming back great point because that's where the challenges will come up and we both know that we're both smiling like yeah you're 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 in for <laughs> a ride with that one but what's in this podcast we we kind of ask our guests to share one of their biggest challenges too right or, or one of their biggest blockers so Paul and I haven't really discussed too much about what that is and what we're going to do in the next couple of minutes is just discuss it just have a chat have a bit of a coaching conversation and see can we pull that apart a little bit and who knows some of our listeners might be experiencing the same too yeah I'm laughing and this is nervous laughter because I'm like anyway yes okay I suppose some of the earlier conversation sets the context for this okay I suppose it's the coming together of two two realizations okay so the first is that the role as a leader has changed from being a kind of a command and control type role in in kind of maybe 70s and 80s to being what I would call more of a concierge role at the moment okay so there's that Mm-hmm. That's one thing. And there's also this idea of, God, okay, so there are horrible bosses, right? So I don't know, everybody is aware of them. Everybody's had at least one and, and several if you've been unlucky. And one of the big things for me is a worry of inadvertently being one of these horrible bosses. And I, I know for a fact that the people I've had, people who are like just genuinely people that I just you just need to go away from and just leave them be and that's fine but i've also had bosses who have inadvertently put me under pressure didn't even realize that they were doing it and and, and are treating me there and and the way i used to deal with this was i used to apply a very very simple methodology which is doing to others as you would have them doing to you okay now i've discovered this is a really really bad system okay my problem so i love steak i love good steak okay and I, I want to apologize now for anybody out there who's, you know, a vegetarian that, but definitely, right, me offering beautiful steak, no matter how nice that steak is to my friends who are vegetarians or vegans, that's, that's not a good thing, right? Doing to us as you would like to be done to you is not the right answer. It's not the right algorithm. I don't know what you want to call it, but anyway, you need to kind of have a new one. And especially at the moment, right, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm quite surprised at... I've made this transition, this horrible transition that I've realized where I've gone from being one of the younger members of the team and, and you know, always kind of, uh, I suppose I, I graduated into management very, very early. So, you know, you're always managing people uh, older than you almost, you know, or, or the same age to so suddenly, oh my God, like I'm, I'm like this late 40s person and like th- th- these people that I'm managing are completely different to me. And, and that's something that's very, very hard for a manager to deal with. So, okay, so they're different to me and that's great. And that's, there's no problem with that. It's not a bad thing. Um, but it is, it is a very, very bad thing if I get it wrong. And I don't mm. understand the implications of that. So I know all this. This is what, not what I'm asking you, by the way. <laughs> this is just facts. So I, I kind of have a built a, a little bit of a, a playbook about how to deal with this. So, you know, things like the way you interact with people. Okay, so I like to help people to improve. 
Okay, I genuinely want to help people to improve. Okay, and I know from you know watching others that the way that you give feedback to somebody about how they're doing will, in some cases, make somebody realize and learn and flourish and be a massively positive thing and set them up for a better career, which is what we actually want. Right? We want to make our company stronger by making our people better. You do. You take that same approach with a second person. And halfway through the conversation, they start to cry on you. And it's like, oh, oh my God, what have I done? What's this about? Where has this come from? Whatever else. Now, so I, I haven't done anything that extreme, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> but my entire playbook around getting this right involves sitting down with a person face to face. My playbook around this bit of my management skill set is all face to face. I don't have the remote playbook. Even with Nearform, where we had, you know, I think we were in whatever ridiculous numbers of countries, you know, where it's like, you know, you're in 30 plus countries. I actually visited people regularly or we met up regularly at different customer events. So the difficult conversations, the challenging conversations, the people because mm. it's not it's not um the simple fact of the matter is that you're you're not there to be super friendly to everybody that you work with you're there to 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 get a result for the company as a team right and the leader is to make sure the team does that and that involves all sorts of can involve all sorts of difficult conversations how do you do it remotely and any ideas any anything you have i don't know whether that is a well-framed question or a question that's worth exploring at all but anyway definitely every question is worth exploring you know is the question or is the challenge around how to balance things like as you mentioned the concierge role balancing that with being a leader that drives forward so is it kind of how do you balance that empathy and assertiveness or is it you know how to do that but you rely so much on face-to-face interaction in order to be effective at that yeah i kind of tee it up face-to-face is the way i do it and for me it's all about understanding how somebody is reacting to what you're saying and i suppose the simple truth is that sound and your voice is a fraction of what you communicate at any given time and what i find is that when i sit down and you're, you know, you've, you've grabbed a cup of coffee and you're, you know, you're, you're sitting in a, a nice kind of environment and it's, you're, you're clearly friendly and you're getting on well. You can start to talk about things that are difficult conversations to have, you know, especially when you've got people coming in and, you know, Kajura is a fantastic environment to work in, right? And it, it, there's a good mix of people. So, you know, there's some people just out of college, some people in the 20s, some people in the 30s. Some people are ancient like me and, you know, we've got, we've got that a lovely mix in terms of, you know, the different types of people in the company. And, you know, we have the people who love cats and the people who love dogs, you know, are very, very diverse, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the, yeah. the, that, that diversity is something that you tune yourself to naturally when you're sitting in that coffee shop, I will interact differently with different team members based on how they like to be interacted with. And if you have somebody who's going to take what you say to heart, you can just say something gently and that's great. And if you have somebody who has a propensity to ignore everything that everybody else says, you can kind of take a bit more direct role and you can kind of hammer home and repeat a point four times. And, and that's that kind of tuning is there. And all I do is literally when you're there, you're looking physically at a person and you're measuring how much they understand of what you're, you've gotten across. And as soon as you get to the point where you've got the point across, job done. Great. Now I don't need to labor this anymore. I'm not going to keep beating somebody through the floor, you know. And that, that can be simple things to tackle or, or, or more difficult things to tackle. So 
I always come into a company as a scales, right? That's where I come in. So you talked about near form, you know, and there was only a few people in it when I joined them and, and we got it up to whatever. It was it was actually well in excess of 150 at the peak, right? So I don't want to hire somebody who's going to destroy our culture. But I also think that people can destroy culture inappropriately or by accident. And if I can help somebody understand that they're doing something incorrectly and they can change their behavior, sometimes they can fit right into a team. And that's, I've done that multiple times. Yeah. And that can be, just because somebody is a grad that doesn't have the skills to deal with the, the new workplace, or it can be that they've come out of another workplace that had a bad culture and they're trying to, you know, they're bringing their bad culture with them, you know? Yeah, yeah. They've built up defense mechanisms to protect themselves in bad culture that when you bring them into a good culture just causes problems. So I guess, how do you do this remotely? And, and how do you do it when somebody like, you know, for instance, would be in, say, for instance, a bad connection. You talked about that earlier where they have to switch off the camera. And all of a sudden you're just talking to a disembodied voice. How <laughs> do you do it? What do you do? Is there any, is there any rule book? Any playbook? So a couple of things you mentioned, Paul, I think it's, it's a great thing to explore. But I think a couple of things you mentioned is that, you know, when you're in person with somebody, you're sitting down with them across from them, you will spend time trying to understand the ways in which the feedback will resonate with them in the best way possible, right? So how do you create that environment or that preparation? Just like you said earlier, be deliberate with scheduling time for rapport. What are the areas that you need to be deliberate with around giving feedback in remote environments? how do you prepare and create that environment for you? So what are, what are the things that you need to be deliberate with? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good, and, and this is where, and this is why I suppose I'm struggling with it remotely a little bit. So it was one particular place I worked. And if you were called into the office, it was, Oh my God, like it was a soundproofed office and you were going to get roared at. <laughs> yeah. That's the worst, isn't it? That, that. Yes. Okay. So in that particular case, actually, the person running it was, was somebody who had an incredible amount of experience and was actually a very particular character where, believe it or not, that wasn't that negative. Maybe that sounds terrible now, but it wasn't a negative experience. And, and it also wasn't negative because there was no run up to it. You got called to the office and then you walked into the office. And that was it. And, and then mm. you came out of the office and it was all over and it was all good. But what I find is difficult is, you know, now do you send a meeting invite with an agenda? <laughs> You know, do you ambush people? Do you, because I think giving people advance warning sounds like a good idea, except if you're going to give them negative feedback, it just means they don't sleep the night before. They're very, you know, nervous about it or, you know. Right. This is. So what, is it negative or is it constructive? And you said, do you send an agenda? Do you ambush? Like what, what feels good to you? Um, what would you do if you were in, what would you do if you were in an office? Oh gosh. Okay. So in an office, oh, oh good Lord. We had a terribly vulgar statement about uh, a phrase that we kind of conjured up for this, but essentially you would create a sandwich and the horribleness is in the middle of the sandwich and you make sure the outsides are lovely and soft and nice. So, you know, somebody grabs this lovely sandwich and they're eating, you know, something that's not particularly pleasant in the middle of it. So when you're in this thing, first of all, you want to make somebody feel okay about, you know, and you also, you want to kind of create an environment where they're open to the feedback. Because as you say yourself, there is that threshold. Like when is it just like criticism and when is it like constructive feedback? So what you're always trying to do is you're always trying to highlight a problem that you think people can solve 
in a way that doesn't make it a personal comment because we don't work in personal. We're just we're just workmates. You know, it's not it's not a personal comment. And and you're also just trying to help them be better in the workplace and be better. You know, mm-hmm. so what you want to do is you want to make sure that if you have to tackle this, that they're going to actually listen and hear it. Okay. If you kind of come at it bald headed as it were, in an office environment, generally people can switch off because they're like, this guy's really angry, God. And, and they either get upset and they stop listening or they get defensive and they stop listening or they just get like, I don't care because this guy is just sounding off and I'll just let him just talk at me. And that's great. And that's, you know, these are all the things that you don't want to create. So it's very, very important that you get somebody in the mindset that you're, this isn't an emotional conversation. This is a, I want to have this, you know, this is whatever. And, and you're, you're making them feel comfortable and, and generate a relatively good feeling going into this piece of contained feedback. And then the feedback is presented in such a way that it's clear that it's constructive and there is a difference in behavior that you want to see, you know? And then you finish up, and I'm talking in general terms, it sounds a bit rubbish, but anyway. And then, you know, when you're finished and they, they understand, like almost everybody that I've ever worked with likes to do a good job, fundamentally, that's it, right? So when you tell them this could be better, you know, sometimes it develops into a, I don't know how to better, how can I get, you know, can I get trained on this? Can I get whatever else? Sometimes it develops into a conversation like that. But what you want to do is you want to, before the, the end of this meeting, you want to be back into the, the good zone, the happy zone, where there, there's a good feeling about the meeting coming out of it, that it's not a negative meeting. So what's stopping you from doing this in a remote environment? Is it time? Is it that you're very busy and you don't give this process enough time? It could be. Because you know the process. So what is it? That's, that's Yeah, I know. And I know the translate process is to remote. I've done it all the time. Uh, for some reason, this is, I think the biggest challenge for me is that if you are, maybe it's nervousness actually about doing it. Maybe it's just simply that, like, you know, I'm, I'm you know, but it, it is, uh, how do I put it? I, I know when the barriers come down in a normal face-to-face conversation, because you can see them down right and i don't necessarily you don't see the barriers coming down the same way when you're remote even on a relatively good quality video call you're not you're only looking at part of the people that you're watching you know you can only see part of them and actually we uh i use a mac right so my my, my camera is like above my screen right okay you you know there's uh some people who use dell right so the camera is down there you know you'll, you'll recognize them actually because on calls they're the ones who look like they have giant hands because they're you know so they're, they're, that's, what that actually results in is you, you're kind of looking at them at a different angle that's not natural, and you don't see very much of them. So for instance, with some of the people when you're talking to them, you can't see their hands. I'm tilting my screen just to give an idea here, right? So you can't see my hands. I can only see my head now, yeah. right? So you can't, well, you, know, you hear me fidgeting, but you can't see me, see me getting agitated. Yeah, yeah, I can only see your crossing your, my legs between your you know mind. under the under the desk, you know. Whereas in the coffee shop, all these little things are the signs that I use to figure out whether I'm striking the right balance when I'm talking to this person. Struggling with that, right? And then the other thing is the deliberateness of it. So I'm somewhat opportunistic, and this is where the time, what you just said about time, might be the biggest key to it to figure it out for me. And you know, you, you tend to be co-located with somebody opportunistically. So what what can happen when we're not remote for long periods of time like this? You know, you come up against something and you're sort of saying, God, I must say that now to that person because you know what? So much better if they, if they, you know, didn't do that or realized this or whatever else. And 
I'm talking about very, very many different things here, by the way. So I, I'm, I'm trying to use words to catch a large amount of things that you have to tackle. But like, this is everything from, you know, I remember some of the guys, they would simply start every sentence at the start of an email with a small letter, you know, gave, gave customers uh, an impression that they weren't as educated as they were. Now, they could never figure it out. And it was a naming convention in code that they were translating into email. And, you know, but, but it was like, these are the kind of things that I'm talking about that are actually quite a personal right. comment when you're talking about how somebody writes an email. <laughs> yeah. Especially somebody who, where English isn't their first language. So these are the kind of things that you're trying to tackle. But uh, what I'm saying is when you're, when you're in that, so you're, you're face to face, you kind of, oh, let's go for a coffee. You know, you're in this and you have this in the back of your head and you kind of, you know, you're, you're then you can tackle this difficult issue you need to cover. It's somewhat opportunistic. It's not really that planned or whatever else like that. It feels a bit contrived doing it remotely because you have to kind of think about it. You have to create enough time right. in the way, organize the meeting. You know, it's, it's a different dynamic remotely and, and it has to be acknowledged. It absolutely does. And I know there's so many leaders struggling with this for sure. But there's a couple of things that you've said that I just want to kind of pick apart for you as to what does those next steps look like? Okay based on, on everything that you've just said. Like, you know the process of performance management. You know that it's important you have to prepare yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to prepare the other person, the person on your team for that. You have to get them in the right mindset. And you said something there around creating a culture of feedback. So how can you create a growth mindset culture on your team where feedback is embraced. There's a a researcher that I would recommend you have a look at, Carol Dweck, who is a Stanford psychologist. And she coined the term fixed and growth mindset. And in her book, in her videos, she talks a lot about parenting and, and schools and teaching. But she also talks about the workplace and she talks about how we take on feedback, how we how we tackle challenges, how we have to create deliberate cultures and environments where feedback is looked at as, a, as an opportunity to learn. Right. That's very high level. I won't get into it too much, but it's how can you create a culture of that? Right. So. Number one is how do you prepare yourself? And two things you mentioned there is, am I given, you know, do I have enough time to dedicate to this? You mentioned that sometimes you feel that little bit nervous. Have you given enough time yourself for the rapport side of things, for the trying to understand the people on your team? I don't know if you have new people on your team or if you've maybe even spent time with the people on your team or the in person, you know, but have you created and carved out that time and that nervousness, how are you tuning into that? Because if you're nervous, the other person's going to be nervous, right? So it's the first thing around preparing yourself. The second thing around preparing them, how do you create that environment within the whole team? How do you create that mindset where even though that small little language tweak from negative feedback to constructive feedback? So, you know, it's that mindset, it's that environment. And the final thing that you said, Paul, was what's important to them in receiving this feedback. And I think this is a really good point because if we had more time, we could go through it. But an exercise that's really useful to consider as a leader is an exercise around values. And as you said, everybody on your team has different personalities. You know, they take things in different ways, different things resonate with them. And as a leader, it can sometimes be a bit 
overwhelming to figure all of that out. They like it this way. They like feedback this way, whatever. But when you think about a multi-generational workforce as well, something that's important to think about is what do they value and how do they like to communicate? And sometimes the question can be, how do you like to receive feedback? Because as you said, there's no one size fits all. And taking those values, if they value things, and this is just a high level example, if they value things like strategy, like measuring, like data, if they're a very analytical person, if it's very much head-centered values, you know that when you're communicating with them, you need to, underneath that, you need to express and communicate with those values in mind, right? So the feedback constructive you want to give them needs to be able to resonate with their values and see that. Whereas if you have somebody who's more focused on things like empathy, kindness, passion, those kind of things, they're more heart-centered values. So how do we communicate feedback to them that resonates with their heart values, if that makes sense? So to kind of summarize that, looking at generations, what does this generation value? What are the ways they like to communicate? What is the way the individuals on my team like to communicate? And how do I communicate that feedback that resonates with that? That's a suggestion, but I think you've come up with three areas that need to be further explored. Number one is, is you giving yourself that time. Number two is that mindset. It's creating that mindset on a team level creating that environment and third it's looking at the multi-generational the value the impact how they like to be communicated with and sometimes it's as simple as asking that in your next one-to-one right so how do you like to receive feedback yeah you've cracked it and i think the the key in the middle of all that though is actually something that i need to put into a bit more action, I think, which is that as a a leader these days, the workplace has changed an awful lot. And we need to change, I suppose, this aspect of the workplace as well. Because I guess, you know, there, there was a time when there was, as a leader, having all the hard conversations was part of being a leader. But actually, maybe creating the mindset in the team where the hard conversations are happening incrementally between people. So things don't get to the point where they're a big, difficult conversation might be a much better use of, of putting my effort in. And Boom. I, I can have to do that more clearly remotely, actually. That might be a, a better solution than the others. I think it's a much more important one. You still have some, some that are going to be issues that you're going to have to deal with, but that's the rest of the other strategies you suggested. But the number one for me is that mindset, mm. that change. I think that going to put that into and we'll see we'll see how it goes <laughs> yeah yeah brilliant Paul and look I mean the thing is really the the outcome is or the ideal outcome would be that there's a team that can freely give each other constructive feedback in order to continue to grow and learn and develop in the best way forward that it's not just coming from you as the leader that it's a mindset of how can we learn how can we get better this is great feedback is a good thing and it takes time to create that, right? But, you know, it's then it becomes a shared responsibility. Yeah, and I think this was the missing ingredient. So this is the big thing that actually, and this was, this was probably the root of why I was nervous about it, is that 
the in the office environment. So I'm working in a place called Conjura. Okay, from a culture perspective, this company is better than any other company I've ever worked in. And and I come from Nearform, which was renowned, right? I mean, you know, I've been really, really lucky across my career, and this one is amazing in terms of that culture, right? And part of that was, of course, this wonderful open culture in the office where people did this corrections. And actually, I think maybe that's where the root of, of all this is coming in, is that as you take away those small little interpersonal interactions in the office, some of this correcting and feedback doesn't happen in the right way. And then all of a sudden, it's, it becomes something that is a, is a leadership issue rather than just get solved by the way that people work and because there's a good culture between people. I think maybe what we do is actually dedicate a bit more time to put them just little bits and pieces in place remotely just to do this. Because everything else Boom. is working. Great. Yeah. And even as you said, you know, what is the right way to give feedback remotely for us as a team? Sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is have that conversation as well and hear what everybody else thinks on your team, right? It's it's that coaching conversation. But Paul, look, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing. Like really do appreciate it. I know that so many other listeners will be either going through this or will potentially experience this. It is a challenging topic that I'm most remote leaders that I speak to have and the insights that you've shared have been fantastic as well so I really appreciate you coming on thank you so much well thank you very much for having me on it was an absolute pleasure brilliant Paul if anybody wants to get in contact with you can they follow you on LinkedIn add you on LinkedIn I suppose is that the best place to go LinkedIn I'm on Twitter Paul at Conjura I'm by email at, at Conjura Paul.savage at conjura.com. That's C-O-N-J-U-R-A. But it's, I'm, I'm not that difficult to find. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Paul. Really appreciate it. You've been a pleasure to, to chat with today. So thank you. Thank you very much, Sean. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Human Behind the Screen. I hope that you found it beneficial and had lots of key takeaways from today's conversation. Head on over to iTunes and don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast. If you do have any ideas or would like to advertise on this podcast, you can email us directly at podcast at operateremote.com. If you want to learn even more from this podcast and check out the key themes that came up, you can check out our blog at www.operateremote.com forward slash blog. Thanks for listening and talk soon.